a teaching moment. Uh, 2014 is when my family and I left California and went to St. Louis. Uh, We left in June. We arrived there in June. We got there. Our house wasn't quite ready yet, and my first welcome onto the campus for a class was summer Greek. Learn a language that's not spoken so you can read it and try to understand it, and you have 10 weeks to do it. Three times a day we would get together, three times a day we would dig into that language, and uh, for one of those weeks we were actually relearning English so that we could understand Greek, because not all of us grew up learning proper grammar. (laughs) And so there were terms I wasn't familiar with, there were things I didn't know, and so the man that guided us through that was a gentleman named Dr. Veltz, Dr. James Veltz. Dr. James Veltz is a little bit wacky. He's a little bit crazy. Uh, He is retired now and continues to teach. He still teaches within the two seminaries. Uh, He lives up in Fort Wayne, which, again, leads to his wackiness, I think. Um, Not the... That came out wrong. Just because of the snow and the winter and all that kind of stuff. Um, But nonetheless, Jim Veltz is an amazing guy. And every time I read the book of Mark, I hear it in his voice because he wrote the commentary for Concordia on Mark, okay? And he would reference it, and I've heard him speak it. He has it memorized, and I hear it in his voice when he says it. But sitting in the midst of class, we would come up to a particular thing while parsing some Greek verb that wouldn't even make sense if I tried to say it right now, and he would stop for a second when somebody would ask a question. He'd say, oh, you know what we have here? We have a teaching moment. And he would do it like that when he wasn't throwing stuffed animals at us for other things. So, again, a little crazy. But nonetheless, he would stop and he would mark out these teaching moments. And I, I can't help but think of Jesus doing the same thing at this moment, going, oh, disciples, you know what we have here? We have a teaching moment, right? He's been teaching left and right as we've been walking through Mark. Remember that this little piece that we read today is part of a large event that's going on. I mean, for verses and verses, he's been teaching as he has brought children up in front of them, and he said, here, here's the greatest That who you think is least, this one right here is the greatest. And those who think they're the greatest, they got another thing to think about. And then he's teaching Pharisees when they're starting to look for loopholes in the legal walk of divorce and separation. And he's teaching a young ruler who's saying, God has obviously blessed me in my life, so what more do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you need to stop focusing on that. And then the disciples are there, right? And Jesus turns around and he looks at him. He says, hey guys, it's a teaching moment. Listen up. And when you get into the Greek, it's really pretty interesting when you hear the force of some of those words. So Jesus starts with the first phrase, right? He says, how difficult it is for one who trusts in their riches, one who holds on to their riches like there's nothing else to have, to enter the kingdom of God. But he doesn't just say it once. The next little word that comes after that in Greek is a great little one. It's called idu. Makes no sense to you right now, but pretty much the proper translation of that in the Veltz world and the Pastor Bob and Pastor Matt world is, looky here, dudes. That's pretty much how that translates out, okay? It's to grab their attention again. And he says, look, 
Pay attention. Hear me on this one. How difficult it is for someone who's holding on to their riches like nothing else to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they stop for a second. Say, he must mean like something else. Not a, not a real camel. Not a real needle. And Jesus says, no, it's a camel and a needle. Like the ones that are walking over there and the things that you sew things with. Okay. On your bulletin cover, you see a picture. And that picture is great. It's a, it's a great way for us to try and make some sense of God's word, but it's absolutely false too. So in about the ninth century, about a thousand years after Jesus, there was some good intended church father who was making a sermon illustration and he said it must have been some little gateway that was really hard for a camel to go through so they had to strip everything down because that's kind of what he told the young ruler to do. But no, it wasn't present in Jesus' day. Jesus was talking about a camel and a needle. And so the disciples stand there for a second. They say, wait a minute. That guy who is obviously blessed because he has all the riches and all the stuff and all the trappings and all the things. According to our culture, Jesus, that guy's got it all. God has obviously blessed him in life. And you're saying that he can't enter the kingdom of God? Well, then who could be saved? If that guy can't be saved, who can be saved? Oh, we get it, Jesus. Look at us. We gave everything away. So we're good. Right, Jesus? Because we don't have all that stuff anymore. We gave it all away. We're not like the rich guy. All right, look at what we did. No, Peter, no. Because that's not it. You're missing it. It's not just hard to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible for you to do it. It's impossible to do it if you live amongst the trappings that you have. It's impossible to do it if you give all the trappings away. It's impossible to do it when you think you can do it on your own effort, Peter. So stop. Stop and sit and listen. Listen to what I have to teach. What do you hold on to? What do, you, what do you hold on to? It may not be riches. Maybe it's uh, savings, which would definitely be riches. Maybe it's a spouse. Where's, where's that identity? What fulfills you? What, what do you look for for your sense of who you are? Sometimes it's position. Sometimes it's authority. Sometimes it's tradition. Sometimes it's history. Sometimes it's food. I like food. <laughs> but we can get wrapped up in so many different things that we look for for our sense of identity. The rich man was looking in all of the things that he had, and he said, look at who I am. And Peter said, look at all the nothing that we don't have, and look at who I am. And Jesus said, you're missing it. Look at who I am. Look at who I am as God standing before you in the flesh. Look at who I am right here, who is the one that is the only one that has power to save you. Look at me, guys, not at yourself. So Jesus stands there, and he listens to them, and he hears them out, but he continues to teach, right? Because as Peter said, look, we gave everything away. Jesus says, yeah, 
Yeah, you gave everything away. That's true. But so did a lot of other people. A lot of other people have walked away from family for the sake of Christ. I think back to India when I went. There was this beautiful moment in a language I don't understand. It wasn't Greek. <laughs> Some dialect of Hindi of all the thousands that are there. And we're at a small church service. We're listening to a pastor. We see the people that are sitting there, people that have come to the church regularly for several weeks, several months, sometimes in secret because it's dangerous. And we walk outside, and there's a baptismal font that's outside. And I see one guy come up to the baptismal font, walks a little hard. He's a little crippled over. Not really worth anything in the society that's there because he can't do work, so he's dependent upon everybody else. And you see him go down in the water and come back up, and he's standing there soaking wet, wrapped in God's word. It's beautiful. Another lady walks in. She's standing in traditional sari, beautiful green gown, standing there in the water, and the pastor is talking with her, and they say a couple of things, and before they go through with the baptism, she walks to the front of the baptismal font, she leans over, grabs a little dot off her forehead and throws it on the ground, and then comes back in and goes under the water. And at first glance, you kind of say, all right, so she took the little thing off her forehead. That little piece was handing away family. That little piece was handing away culture. That little piece was handing away identity. That little tiny dot that was right there marked her as one, as a native-born Indian, and she handed every single little bit of that away because of the call of Christ in her life. And God says, I got you. You're my daughter now. You're my daughter now, and when you come up from the waters of that baptism wrapped in my word, you're mine. You're my child now, and you know what? You're going to look like the least amongst everybody else, and you are beautiful and prominent and first at the wedding feast of the Lamb. It was gorgeous. And there she stood as a child of God with a new family, new brothers, new mothers, new sisters, new everything handed to her simply by God. And when you look around this room, when you have come into this room and you look at all of the family that is here simply because of God's word and who God has made you to be, you look around and you say, there's my mother and my brother and my sister. It's neat when you look at those two lists, right, that Jesus gives to Peter. And he says, there's no one that has left mother and father and sister and brothers and homes and lands who will not receive in this age a hundredfold mothers and sisters and brothers. He skipped fathers in the second list. There's only one father. There's only one father. There's only one father that has the power to save. There's only one father that has the grace to give. There's only one father who claims us as his children and creates a beautiful family that sometimes is stinky and ugly and nonetheless beautiful in God's eyes. Forgiven and loved and blessed because of Christ. I'm going to jump to another book for a second, because Mark's book is like bullet points as we get closer to the cross, right? I'm going to jump to John. 
chapter 19 when he's, you're at the crucifixion. Jesus is on the cross. Many of the words have already been said, and Jesus is hanging there, and he looks down at those that are around his feet who have come in sorrow to watch the one they love die a slow death but one they've come to trust in as Lord as well. And he's up there as a son of the Father, and he's up there as a son of Mary. He's up there as a brother to John, a brother in faith. He's up there as a brother to his brothers who aren't even present. And he's up there as Lord, as God. And he looks down at Mary, and he looks down at John, and he says, Mother, woman, behold your Son, John, behold, your mother. They weren't family by blood. They're family by faith. They're family because God has pulled them together at his feet, hanging at the cross as he dies for them and buried for them. He says, look, whatever the differences are, I'm taking those away right now. Whatever the sins are that separate you, I'm taking those away right now. Give me those while I hang here on this cross. Hand those over to me while I hang up here because that's all gone. And now I claim you as mine. I forgive you. And I make you family. And what do I have to hand back to you? Life. I have life to hand back to you, and I have blessings to hand back to you because I know as family you're going to take those blessings and you're going to hand them out to others that need those blessings. And you're going to take those things that don't look like riches in your life because they're not monetary, but you're still going to share those. Whether it's time or gifts or talent, you're going to look at somebody and say, you know what, God loves you too. And he does. Because you're forgiven as our Lord hangs there at the cross. And every day as we wake up and we think back on our baptism and we think back how that word was washed over us through that water, we say, you know what? That's right. God's child. And every day he teaches us. Every day there's a moment there where we see where maybe we've walked another direction from God and he continually looks back and says, no, you're my child. I claimed you. You're mine. You're mine and I love you and I forgive you. think back on times now with my kids and other times in life where we've learned things. And we take those teaching moments to try and teach and raise up, to try and guide and direct. And I pray that in those really hard moments in life, in those times of suffering in life, in those times where you feel that God is so tremendously separate and distant from you that you sit down and you say, wait, well, hold on. Maybe this is a teaching moment because God's right in the midst of it with you. He's walking in the dirt with you. He's walking in the hardship with you. He's walking through all of those things with you, just saying, look, I'm right here. Whatever you were trusting in before, you don't have to trust in those things. I'm right here, right here with you, speaking words of love and forgiveness into your life. And God's with you in the midst of those, sometimes to teach, and more often than not, to remind you that you're loved and forgiven in him. Amen. We pray. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would keep our eyes focused on you, that 
There's nothing else that we would fear, love, and trust in, but it would be you alone because you alone have the power to save us so graciously and give us things that we don't deserve, like salvation and eternal life, things that are not difficult for us to get but impossible for us to get apart from you. Thank you for doing the impossible. Thank you for making us yours because it's your word that wraps around us it's your power that strengthens us. It's your love that forgives us, and it's your grace that holds on to us. So be with us, Father, in all that we do because you have promised to be present in all that goes on amongst your children. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.